Almighty God, we ask that you would bless the proclaiming of your word and of the good news of abundant life and joy in Jesus Christ. And we pray that our love for you would grow deeper and our joy would spread wider from the Spirit's work among us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, during World War II, the American Red Cross decided our U.S. troops fighting in Europe needed a little cheering up. They needed a little joy in the middle of the misery of war. And so they re-outfitted some old London buses with makeshift kitchens, and they brought in one of the biggest joys we can know, donuts. Hot, freshly made, delicious Donuts, and the fact that they were delivered by pretty young girls didn't hurt either. But the smell and the taste of those treats in the middle of a battle zone, well, it just gave these soldiers more than a full stomach. It gave them a taste of home, of what home is like that they miss so much, and it gave them the strength to go back into battle with with renewed spirits. But how quickly they lost their joy when they arrived at the donut truck And the Red Cross asked them to pay. To pay. What happened to home? We don't have to pay at home. What what happened to that? Well, it wasn't the Red Cross's fault. The U.S. War Department had heard that the British soldiers were upset because they didn't have to pay for their snacks. And so it was causing division. And so they asked the Red Cross to make the soldiers pay. But nobody understood the impact of messing with the donuts. Trinity Fellowship understands that, but they, they didn't understand that. And this slight was so offensive that to this day, volunteers from the American Red Cross show up to veterans events with free donuts. And to this day, veterans at those gatherings are complaining about how wrong it was for them to charge for those donuts. And the moral of the story is this. Free donuts don't last forever. In a world corrupted by sin, joy, and misery have to coexist. I think misery is a really good word for the opposite of joy. The Beatles thought it was a good word, too. They wrote a song about it. The world is treating me bad. Y'all know that song? I'm not going to sing it for you. That would really be misery. Well, we all know what misery feels like, right? I bet you have an experience that you can hang on, hang that word on. I do. For me, it was my first backpacking trip. I was a Girl Scout from a very non-camping family in a troop of girls from very experienced backpacking families. And this was a trip where we were supposed to go in five miles, camp overnight, and come back out five miles. And so I showed up for this this backpacking trip with borrowed equipment, with the school shoes that I wore every day. And I think I remember that the only thing I had to sustain myself was a can of soup. One can of soup. Well, I really think I would have been okay if the temperature hadn't started dropping and if it hadn't started raining and if 
we could start a fire. And if the can, the open can of soup hadn't dumped into the embers that we were hoping would become a fire, you get the whole miserable picture. So why am I talking about misery in a sermon on joy? Because sometimes the best way to understand what something is, is to understand what it isn't. And because our passage today, Isaiah 61, is a passage of contrasts. It's a series of contrasts through and through. There's no complacency, no middle road. This is a passage of opposites. Maybe you don't feel miserable today or even very often. Praise God for that. But if it's true, and it is true, that a new day is coming of unending joy, then we have to acknowledge that now is not that. Free donuts go away. Friendships fracture. A vibrant life is lost. A job is unexpectedly taken away. The year 2020 happens. And things are not how they're supposed to be. And so the joy we experience now, as great as it can be, always exists in the context of sin's corruption. But sin's corruption always exists in a bigger context. The bigger picture of what God is doing in the world with purpose and power. This third week of Advent in Isaiah 61, we see that the bigger picture is God inviting us out of misery and into joy. He's calling us, come out. Come into joy. Now to the day of Christ's arrival to begin a new tide of joy. And a future day when joy won't ebb or flow, but it'll just flow. Uninterrupted. No back and forth with misery. Only joy. Once and for all. And his invitation in joy to joy in Isaiah 61 comes in three parts. To recognize the spirit at work. To be transformed by the good news. And to live in everlasting joy. To recognize the spirit at work. To be transformed by the good news. And to live in everlasting joy. And if you have your Bible or your device, look with me at Isaiah 61, starting with verse 1. Well, these words, among them are the same words Jesus began his public ministry in Luke chapter 4. These words are in response to the spirit of God and the Lord's anointing. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. In the Old Testament, this was significant. It meant that they were controlled by the spirit and the spirit was breathing out the actual words of God through this prophet. And the image of anointing here is one set apart for this mission. And so when Jesus repeats those words, it means something too. The spirit of God is moving always it's real it's moving and it's alive in those who believe and do we recognize when the spirit is moving in and among us when we pay attention to the spirit's work in us we get so caught up in his story that we get a little less obsessed with writing our own and when we get caught up or tangled up in sin, whatever it may be, these things often come with a fleeting moment of relief, but always 
lead to misery. A misery worse than a wet backpacker. The misery of shame, of anger, of conflict, of harming ourselves and of harming others. But remember, God is always inviting us out of misery. Imagine what it would be like to reject the invitation of the fleeting relief of sin and accept the invitation of the Spirit not to be caught up in sin, but to be caught up in a story, into the unfolding drama that is always leading to joy. That is what awaits us when we respond to the Spirit's good and true work in us. And as we recognize the Spirit's work, we also hear God calling us to be transformed by the good news, out of misery and into joy. I said this chapter is full of contrast. Well, transformation is rarely as clear in the scriptures as it is in Isaiah 61. In these contrasts listed in verses 1 through 3. And looking at all these comparisons set up against each other shows us just how transforming the good news of Jesus Christ really is in every part of life. Really far more complete than we could possibly conceive. The good news proclaims one who is coming, and here go the contrast, to bind up the brokenhearted. To take one whose heart has been broken into pieces and to put that heart back together, to bind it, to care for it, and to restore it. To proclaim freedom for those who are enslaved. Remember, for Israel, these things were literal. And yet, as a prophecy, it addressed the human, the, the needs of every human heart for all time. This good news promises freedom from the misery of the bondage to sin. Have you ever been stuck? You ever been stuck? The good news proclaims that you are not stuck in a prison. You're free. Continuing on, to open the prison doors, to open the locked doors, binding us up into isolation, to comfort all who mourn, all losses, whether they're physical losses or relational ones, giving comfort to those who mourn. To those who mourn, to give them instead of the normal tradition, the normal tradition was to put ashes on the head, Ashes that are dark and dry and dead. And instead of that, to put on a beautiful headdress. I cannot help but think about my time in Rwanda when I think about a beautiful headdress. Because when we were with the ladies throughout the week, at the end of the week on Friday, no matter what they were wearing during the week, they showed up on Friday because that was our celebration day, right? And they showed up. Well, actually, they didn't just show up. They danced in. I can't do it. Okay. But they, just imagine it. They clapped in. They, they stomped in. And they sang in. And as they came in, they were wearing the most beautiful, brightly colored, turban-wrapped headdresses on their heads. And trust me, it changed their countenance completely. And it was a beautiful picture of what this passage says the good news can do. 
The good news gives oil of gladness to those who mourn. Oil was often given to the guests at a party. It was a welcoming gift and it was a way for everyone to to be brightened and to look look happy and full of joy and the whole room would be transformed by that. Imagine that the good news takes a face that has been marked by the streams of tears and it puts on the oil of gladness, wiping all of that away. That, that's the good news. That's the good news. To clothe those with a garment of praise instead of a weak and, and frail spirit. Clothes were actually of great significance in the Old Testament. They were of such significance that some people, namely my husband, write THM thesis. What's the plural of theses? A thesis. How about that? A thesis on the meaning of clothes in the Old Testament. It was significant, not just a style, but actually a transformation. That's what, that's what the good news can do. Well, from this to that and from that to this, all of these opposites make the purpose of the transforming good news unmistakable. God is changing us. Two, in verse three, be called oaks of righteousness, planted for his glory. Strong, solid, attractive, a place where people want to be, a shelter for others, to be a place of rest where all can see signs of thriving life. The kind of tree that stands out among others, the kind of tree that gets noticed because there's something distinctive about it. This is our vision for Trinity Fellowship Church, that we would be called a tree whose branches extend as far as our roots grow deep. Not because we're Bible scholars or because we have a really good marketing plan, but because the the work and the word of the Lord is completely transforming us. It's changing us. It's growing us to be that place on the corner of Greenville and Buckingham where shelter can be found. Where all can be welcomed through those doors to belong, to find rest for their souls, to move from misery to newness of life and joy, to taste, in taste now. And then when Christ returns forever more. Well, given the significance of clothing in the Old Testament, we can respond to the transforming good news of Jesus Christ with this question. Am I open to wearing new clothes. I'm watching the crown. Anybody watching the crown? Not very many. Okay. Well, the crown is a series about the uh, royal family. And it turns out that the queen actually always wears a solid bright color from head to toe, or often does, so that everybody who wants to see her can pick her out in a crowd. Does joy do that for you? Does the way you wear your growing joy make you stand out to those around you? Well, I happen to to like clothes that are comfortable. And sometimes we can wear misery so long that it just feels more comfortable. And we keep reaching back in our closet to put on the same things over and over 
What feels more comfortable for you to wear? Misery or joy? And if it's misery, are you willing to let God dress you in something a little uncomfortable for a while? Until joy feels more like the right clothing it truly is for one being changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And if that feels scary, then it's time to ask for the Spirit's help. After all, the good news proclaims that you can't change out of those clothes of misery into joy on your own. You can't make your own new clothes. And about not being able to change yourself, I just want to say a few words to someone, I don't know, maybe a a few, I don't know, who are sitting through a sermon on joy like I have in the past. You're not feeling it this morning, maybe. You uh, are hearing someone like me say, be joyful. And in your heart, all you can do is be angry. I say that confessionally. Be angry at God. God, how can you expect this of me? I don't, I don't feel it and I don't know what to do about it and I can't conjure it up. And to you, if you're, if you're feeling those things right now, to you, I would say the same thing that I would say to myself. One word. Exactly. You are helpless to change your own heart, to come out of misery into joy. Your heart is refusing God's invitation to joy right now, but that doesn't rule you as one who believes in Jesus Christ. One far more powerful is your ruler, your king, alive in you. Acknowledge it, confess it, receive it. As often as you need the good news of Christ's forgiveness and love, and if you've never received it, Receive it today for the first time and let someone know. The third invitation of Isaiah 61 out of misery is to live in everlasting joy. And verses 4 through 7 show us that through the Spirit's anointing of Jesus to bring the good news that changes everything, God rebuilds. God restores. The background for this section of the passage is is Exodus 19.6, where God calls for Israel to be a kingdom of priests who serve him faithfully. And the everlasting joy of verse 7 is connected to renewal, which is connected to service, priestly service. God delivers And God forgives with an intended purpose that we might serve as priests, not as slaves, not with gritted teeth, but with joy. And 1 Peter 2 9 says, But you are a royal, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, making it clear that we have been grafted in as those who believe, and therefore that priesthood of believers is extended to us. We can serve as priests in joy. In verse 7, you guessed it, more contrast to show us the guide to living in everlasting joy. Instead of shame, 
such a personhood killer, such a relationship destroyer. Instead of shame, God gives a double portion of an inheritance. A double portion that 1 Peter 4 tells us is an imperishable inheritance. No stock market fall can ever take it away. Instead of dishonor, rejoicing from misery to joy, God makes the way. And what else can the response be but praise in verses 10 to 11? We've got new clothes of salvation. That's a reason to rejoice. Well, in Isaiah 61, God is calling us out of misery into joy and inviting us to recognize the spirit at work. To be transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ and to live in everlasting joy. And these same words, some of them, show up in the New Testament when Jesus begins his public ministry in a synagogue. In Luke chapter 4, reading what we now know was from Isaiah 61. And he gets to the first half of verse 3 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Forgiveness and grace and salvation. And the next line is, and the day of vengeance from Isaiah 61. But he he doesn't read that. He stops. And then he says in Luke 4.21, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He reveals to them who he is and why he's come. And he stops. At the year of the Lord's favor, because that's what this coming was about. There will be a second and future coming with a day of vengeance. But the scripture Jesus is fulfilling that day is proclaiming the one who has come to bring a new kingdom of freedom and light and love. The prophecies in Isaiah 61 are like so many other prophecies in the scriptures. There's a partial fulfillment now. At the first advent, when Christ comes to earth, and then there's a future fulfillment waiting at the second advent when Christ returns. And in between, we live in the corruption of all that God created is good. We live in suffering. Sometimes, when we don't even like to admit it, we live in misery. But praise God that he makes a way for us out of misery and into everlasting joy in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who knew misery far beyond any we have experienced or could imagine. For the unending joy Before him, at the right hand of the Father, Christ's first advent made it possible for us to take steps into that joy. And we'll celebrate that in a few days at Christmas. But we'll be looking ahead to a coming day. A day that will close the door behind us to anything except joy. Everlasting joy will be separated from misery forever. We'll wear the oil of gladness at a never-ending banquet that most certainly, I hope, will include an endless supply of free donuts. Glad you like that. It's almost Christmas, so wear your new clothes this week. Respond 
to God's continuing gracious invitation out of misery and into joy. And let everyone around you see the change and invite them into it. Let's pray. Lord, we depend in grace to wear the clothes of joy that you made possible in Jesus Christ. And we look forward to a coming day of uninterrupted, unending joy. Through our joy today, let others be welcomed into joy forever. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us stand together.